Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that everyone and anyone is welcome to enjoy, but it's also a podcast that may not be welcomed by anyone and everyone. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another Black True Crime episode. I'm your host, Kayla. And I'm your co-host, Kristen. It's like way too early for us to be recording. I'm still waking up. Come on. So today we have an episode for you guys that is a doozy. I will say that there's a lot going on in it. So you're going to have to follow us closely. And before we get started, I just want to let you guys know that there's only five more days as of the release of this episode. Actually, there's four more days, four more days for you guys to get your tickets for the live show. If you guys don't get them by that time, unfortunately, they will not be on sale anymore. So you have to buy them ASAP. Rocky. Get your tickets. Now is not the time to procrastinate at all. Buy your tickets, y'all. Period. Buy your tickets. Buy your tickets. If you want to come, buy your tickets before four days are over. Okay? Momenthouse.com slash Black True Crime Podcast. Or you can go to any of the links in our social media bios. And it's like the first one on there. Or you can go to our website, BlackTrueCrime.com. Okay, let's get started. In 2007, the state of Michigan was in a panic because there was someone in the streets of Lansing killing women left and right. But not just women. Caucasian women. The murders were so horrific and disturbing that locals called the summer of 2007 the summer of terror. And only one man was responsible for the fear in the hearts of thousands. Join us as we discuss the murderous monster that is Matthew Chili Mackin. Ooh, gave me chills. Chili gave me chills. Yeah, Chili's a little fucking asshole, so. Matthew Emanuel Mackin, later known on the streets as Chili, was born on September 8th, 1979 in the state of Michigan. Kristen, what happened in Black True Crime and Black History in 1979? Picture this, y'all. We are going to the other side of the world, just specifically not in the U.S., What was going on in 1979 was kind of not similar to what was going on here, but there were some things that were happening against black and Asian communities. Who is surprised? On April 23rd, 1979, a man named Blair Peach. He is actually a white man, but he was a cool guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a part of a demonstration in heavily Asian South Hall. This is a neighborhood which... Since the fatal stabbing of 18-year-old Gurdip Singh Chatter mm. in mm. June 1976, this neighborhood had been the target of increasingly violent attacks, not only by National Front supporters, but also by the local police. Of Who course. Oh, yes, I can. It's horrible. Nearly 3,000 of the latter, meaning the police and the National mm-hmm. Front supporters, were deployed that day to ensure the fascists could hold a rally. 700 protesters were arrested, right? Mm-hmm. Paramedics were denied proper access to tend to police battered bystanders. Right. The People Unite Community Center run by Misty and Roots was raided and the band's manager, Clarence Baker, was beaten into a coma. From what? Which he only emerged months later. Hold on, now, hold on. You didn't even tell us where this is taking place. <laughs> I didn't tell you, did I? No. This is taking place. <laughs> this is taking place in London. Oh wow! Yes, London. So Blair Peach is actually he was born in New Zealand, but now he is in London. Mm-hmm. On this tragic day, Blair Peach died. No, how? Yes. Let me see. An article states that he died via blunt force trauma to the head. People assume that London's elite riot squad, which is like a squad to get rid of riots, obviously, mm-hmm. were a part of Blair Peach's death, but no officers have been charged with his death. And this of was in 1979. So although he was white, this is a issue of racism in London around the murder of Gurdip Singh Chatter, an 18-year-old, in 1976. I just wanted to 
pay homage to Blair Peach because he was doing the right thing and he lost his life because of it, as yeah. we have seen a lot of times. So, R.I.P. Blair Peach. We remember R.I.P. Blair Peach for fighting for equality. Mm. That's all you have for us? Yes, that's all I have okay. for you guys. Thank you for that trip on Black History Land. It's nah, kind of just like, like some history. Right. Involving mm-hmm. racism, which is mm-hmm. what black history is, tends to be all Literally about. is riddled with bullets. Right. With riddled with racism. racism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Shout out to you, Blair Peach. So Matthew lived with his father and mother, from what I could see, and also his older sister. He had an older brother as well, but I'm not sure if he lived with them or his dad. Mm. Matthew's childhood, as well as his sister's, was extremely traumatic and something you'd never wish on anyone. According to court documents, Matthew and his sister were regularly physically abused by their father. His sister suffered the worst of the abuse as she was often sexually abused by her father as well. Yes. This abuse would sometimes include putting objects into her vagina like a stick. That poor girl. That poor. Well, she's a woman now. That poor woman. By her own father. By her own father. And if you didn't think this could get any worse, Matthew was often tasked with watching the assaults on his sister. What so is from wrong? the jump. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, the only thing I can think about is how the fuck does someone get so fucked up that they do this to their own child? Like, child. What happened? What ha- what the fuck happened? You can't blame this on oppression. You can't blame this on slavery you can't do any of that what the fuck is the problem but it's just human nature humans are truly fucking garbage the abuse was so bad that in 1983 thankfully his older sister was removed from the home and instead put into foster care which i'm praying was actually a better situation for her but we're not really sure after his sister left in 1983 matthew became a menace to society at only four years old i'm just kidding (laughs) because he was literally four but from this point on matthew would never be a positive influence on or addition to society in march 1984 his mother erlene filed a restraining order on his father jim because he'd been beating her and she was fucking tired of it about freaking time thank you in october of the same year jim was living with his pregnant 17 year old girlfriend so literally seven months later he's with a whole nother female that's still in school right she's underage and she's pregnant pregnant as hell and this is when she accused him of beating her with a baseball bat for refusing to do sex work he was trying to make her sell pussy and she was like no yes and he beats her with a baseball baseball bat bat. Mm -hmm. she also said that he had a knife and intended on killing her that night but in january of 1985 which was like three months after the incident she recanted her claims and the charges were dismissed (laughs) 11 yeah yeah. are we surprised though Uh, and she dismissed them yeah, she dismissed them because she went back to him. And yes. you guys you guys can get upset with us for saying she's an idiot. You know, it's our opinion, okay? I think anybody that stays in a situation where they're being physically hurt, there is some stupidity attached to it. Even no, if there's other even, things attached to it. I'm not even saying that she's an idiot for staying. I'm saying she's an idiot for going back. Okay? <laughs> so you can you can you can well, fight me all you want on that, but but when I say idiot, that means I'm trying to express my anger in the situation. Like, yes, she was not smart for going back. Do I do I fault her for it? I'm just going to call her a name. But at the yeah. end of the day, like <laughs> I can understand why you go back to an abuser because you're going back to someone who also claimed well, to love you, which you thought in your eyes was someone caring about you. Well, so, it's tough. That, it's not, that's not entirely true. Most of the time, it's not really because they think the person cares about them. It's because they are comfortable in their situation. And a lot of the times they don't want to leave because they don't have anything to go to if they leave. And that's some of the times I'm talking from experience from a friend that I literally know that literally oh, her did ass. this. Yes. Her experience is 
something that I was trying to relate to. But there, Kayla, you're right. There are sometimes people just don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they feel like dealing with it is better than dealing with anything else. Yeah. So we understand the reasons why. But yes, she is an idiot because I'm upset. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how to express ups- my upsets, my anger. Okay. Take it how you want. Don't email us. Okay. <laughs> Don't write a bad review. (laughs) Okay. 11 years later, Jim was convicted of felonious assault for pulling a gun on that same woman's brother. So at 28 years old, she's still with this piece of shit. And she has a brother like, oh, I can't even imagine how that brother felt. I feel like he would want to slap around and then (laughs) beat the dog crap out of old boy. Well, he better not fucking put his hands on her. But, I know, he better not. <laughs> but, but I know he's sure probably he's like, like, what are you doing? Yeah. Hold on. So when I saw the dates attached to the following incidents, I was really shocked because Matthew was fucking young. Like, this shit is strange. Okay. So for some reason, Matthew was sent to a foster home as well. I don't know how long he was there, but by 1989, he'd run away and was considered a delinquent court ward. And he was only nine or 10 years old at the time. Mm. That same year, Matthew was charged with breaking into a bike shop in Lansing, Michigan, and a comedy club to which he pleaded guilty. Three years later, at 12 years old, Matthew was sent to Boys Town, which was a facility in Nebraska at the time for delinquent children. And it still exists now. So if you have a troublemaker, you can send him on over to Nebraska. But he didn't last there for long. <laughs> By November 1994, he was at another facility in Ingham County, Michigan, called High Fields. And he escaped. <laughs> He's a slippery motherfucker. <laughs> slippery snake. He admitted to stealing a car from the facility <laughs> and with a fellow criminal child, broke into the grocery store and stole food. They were That's ready. Sad. They're like, road trip. That's sad. I feel like, because in my head, I'm like, damn, were they not getting fed? Like, were they just getting horrible food? And they were like, we're going to risk it all and go to the store. And honestly, sometimes I think, yes, the situation is more detrimental. But when we were young, we were sneaking out. We took our parents' cars. So it almost it almost reminds (laughs) me of like, yes, these people happen to be in a boys, you know, place for delinquent children. But at the same time, they're doing some stuff that, you know, we probably have done before. Not stealing oh. groceries, but I'm just saying, like, joyriding. Oh, we were 16, 17. This so child is, like, 13, 14. Yeah, hot mess. He pleaded guilty in this situation, too, and in May 1995 was sent to another facility called W.J. Maxi Boys Training School in Ann Arbor, Michigan. This facility held youth from the age of 12 to 21 and provided sexual offender treatment. Mm. Mm -hmm. I wonder what the treatment looks like. I would love to know. He remained at this facility until May 1996 when he was 16. It's ironic that he attended a facility that offered sexual offender treatment when Matthew wasn't even a sexual offender. Yet. Mm -hmm. Yet. Correct. Sometimes I wonder if he took part in those trainings or not. Because maybe it had something to do with him becoming a sexual predator. But who knows? When Matthew was 16, he landed himself back in an Ingham County court. But instead of his regular antics, he took a huge step in the wrong direction. Matthew was charged with sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl with a stick. No. Yes. Yes, a stick. Just like he saw his father use years earlier on his own sister. That is so sick. So fucking sick. I think it speaks volumes to the phrase being the, the a apple sponge when you're little. Um, yeah, and, and being so impressionable at such a young age. I think that just shows, you know, he saw it and he imitated it. Literally repeated it. So sick. A court referee spoke and said that, quote, sexual offending is like an addiction. And that although he may make progress in the program for sex offenders, it would require a, quote, lifetime vigilance to make sure to make sure Matthew doesn't offend again. So to hear that it's going to take basically someone having a thumb up my ass for the rest of my life to make sure that I don't do something like that. When I hear that, I'm like, 
he should have never been let out. If someone says you have to watch this man for his entire life to make sure he doesn't, you know, rape women. What what does that say? That says he should be fucking institutionalized. But then that would be like all the sexual offenders that are out right now would be still in jail, <clears throat> which they probably should be. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, if you serve your time, you know, you, whatever, I get that. Serving your some time people being, change. Yeah, but what's being registered on the sex offenders list, at least you do have to answer to certain people. You do have things that you cannot do. There are mm-hmm. certain limitations and surveillance that is done on people like that. So, mm-hmm. ooh, that makes you wonder because every single weekend a cop comes by our building and mm-hmm. just posts up and then goes in the front and goes wherever they're going. And it's every single weekend. I wonder who they're checking up on. Well, you know, you can Google that. Like, you know, you can look up sexual offenders in your area and they will like pop up on a map. Yeah, probably. You should do that. that. Yeah, you should definitely (laughs) do that. In October 1997, Matthew completed the court mandated sex offender treatment program. And according to social workers, they believed the likelihood that Matthew would commit another sex offense was, quote, very slim. Mm. Boy, they were fucking wrong. Idiots. So one of the things I read was that as a juvenile, Matthew was charged with breaking and entering larceny, unlawfully driving an automobile. And that's when he escaped from the juvenile facility. And he was also charged with two sex offenses. Now, I don't know if those charges are in relation to the one attack (coughs) on the 14 year old or if he assaulted someone else as well. I'm not sure that wasn't um, shown that I could find. But what I do know is that by 2007, at 28 years old, he's a grown-ass man, Matthew would only be out on probation for one month, and this is for his third larceny conviction, before he would put a deadly fear into the hearts of thousands with the despicable actions he'd planned to do next. Wow. Yeah. So he here was we no good go. from the jump. No good from the start. His daddy ruined him. I mean, ruined his life. But hey, we all make choices. Mm-hmm. Five murders, six assaults, five rapes, and one attempted rape would all happen at the hands of Matthew Mackin in the summer of 2007. So we won't be able to cover every single attack, unfortunately, because we just don't have the details of every attack. So I'm going to do my best to give you guys as much as I can. The murder spree started on Thursday, July 26, 2007, when 76-year-old Ruth Hallman was found severely beaten in her West Lapeer Street home around 10.30 a.m. Ruth died two days later from her injuries. She was a neighborhood activist and the mother of Lansing Councilwoman Carol Wood. Mm -mm. Ruth was said to always be concerned with safety in the neighborhood and would even snitch on drug houses to police and stuff. (laughs) Because apparently in the area, it was getting more violent. Crime was getting more prevalent. And basically, Ruth was like, not on my watch. Right. You know, not on my watch. Neighborhood watch of one, period. (laughs) I think she was the leader of like, she was a neighborhood activist. So I think they did have like a little group. But she was definitely a part of it. Definitely headstrong. And wanted to protect her little town. Her little 76-year-old self. Poor Ruth. Rest in peace, Ruth. Rest in peace, Ruth. And she was also, you know, sexually assaulted, raped. I just hate the word. I hate saying it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. On August 7th, 36-year-old Deborah K. Cook was found dead in Hunter Park. Her body was found laying next to a tree around 4.30 a.m. by some officers doing a routine patrol in the area. Deborah was bloody and her face had been beaten severely. She was also naked from the waist down with a stick inside of her. Oh, my gosh. It was said that Deborah had previously worked as a waitress, but also had a history of sex work. Mm, mm, mm. So rest in peace, Deborah. Rest in peace, Deborah. Deborah Kay. That's cute. This is disgusting. Like, yeah. And the stick thing really upsets me because, like, I can't even imagine a stick being in my kooka. Like, are you? I want to square up. I'm, I'm I want to fight. Infuriated. Like, what the fuck possesses you to do something like that? Like I it's said, just it comes from violation. Yeah, yeah. But it also comes from what he grew up seeing. Like, when you just see violence growing up, a part of you is going to think that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Godly. And it seems like nobody 
taught them different. Or mm-hmm. even if they tried, it, it was like, it's not penetrating this skull right, right here. Like, right, right, right. Like that sexual assault program or whatever. Fuck that. That, that did, did nothing. nothing. To help. If anything, it made him more interested in doing stuff right. like this. Two days later, 46-year-old Deborah Renforce was found dead in her home in the 1000 block of North Washington in the Old Town District. Another Deborah? Another Deborah, yeah. She she spells her name D-E-B-R-A, and Deborah K spells it D-E-B-O-R-A-H. Deborah had moved to Lansing from Mount Clemens about seven years before her death. She also had been working as a sex worker, but at the time of her death was really trying to leave that life. And she was even cleaning houses to, like, keep her from going back to the street life, Mm -hmm. which was great for her. But Matthew had to fucking snuff her life out. Piece of shit. I wonder how he got access to these women. Rest in peace, Deborah. Well, we'll get to that. On Monday, August 27th. That's someone's birthday. That's my birthday. 64-year-old Sandra Icorn was found stabbed to death in her home on the west side of South Genesee. She'd been stabbed 36 times with a knife from her own kitchen, and she was sexually assaulted as well. She was a General Motors plant retiree and had only been living in the rented home for about a year at the time of her death. Mm. She was also a huge NASCAR fan, which I think humanized her, so I included it. Rest in peace, Sandra. She was a human. Rest in peace, Sandra. <laughs> well, you know, it's easy to talk about people and say, oh, this is how they died. But let's talk about how they lived. You know? Yeah. She was I a NASCAR like fan. This time, the killer left a clue. Thank sitting God. in Sitting in a bowl of spaghetti that Sandra was eating was a business card to a computer repair place on Saginaw Street. Okay. So now they feel like they have somewhere to start, you know, investigators. Because it isn't until Sandra's death that the police are like, hey, we need to really fucking step it up and do something about this because these could possibly be connected. Mm -hmm. So they created a joint task force, which included Lansing PD, Michigan State Police and the FBI. And their main goal was just to determine if there was a connection in these cases. And that would really help them, you know, put the pieces together and find out who was behind this. But before police could even really get started, they were called to the scene of another attack. The very next day after Sandra's murder, a 56-year-old Linda Jackson was assaulted in her house on Jones Street. The woman was able to escape her attacker, thank the Lord, and call police. So she told them that the man claiming to be looking for work entered her back door and struck her in the head. Before he could do more, the woman's dog heard the commotion. Apparently, uh, her dog's name is Cheyenne, and she was sleeping upstairs. And she heard it, so she runs downstairs. And she's, like, barking at the the intruder, freaking mm-hmm. out, lunging at him, all this type of stuff. And Matthew is apparently deathly afraid of dogs. <laughs> deathly afraid of dogs, so he got the hell up out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> Righteous! And he ran the fuck away. Yes. <laughs> The woman was able to give police a description of her attacker, which they sketched up and later released to the public. Yes. We love Cheyenne. We love you, Cheyenne. You are the bottom. I was about to say the bottom bitch. But I don't think we talk (laughs) about here. No, we don't talk like that You are the best bitch ever. the baddest bitch. Baddest bitch. (laughs) I'm cracking up. Rest in peace, Cheyenne, too, because oh. she's probably dead by now. Yeah, she's probably dead. But that made me so happy. Like, yeah. because of Cheyenne, like, the case can be broken open. Yeah. Yeah. And now we know what this guy looks like. And Linda's how still he's alive. Coming. Yes, Linda's still alive. We know what the guy looks like and how he's approaching women. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's trying to basically tell them, hey, do you need help with your yard work? Do you need mm-hmm. someone to take care of stuff like that for you? Of Good on you, Cheyenne. If somebody came up to my door asking about work, I'd be like, no, no, sir. What you do is you leave a card with your information on it. This is 2007. Let's get with the fucking program. Right. This isn't even like back in the day. No. Where there's still milkmen. Like this is. (laughs) Come on now. We evolved. But these these are older women. Women. You know, Mm -hmm. so they may just be set in their ways and answer Mm -hmm. their front doors. (laughs) When they searched the victim's home, Linda's home, they found credible evidence that would help in later convicting the perpetrator. 
The Lansing PD captain, Ray Hall, said, quote, this victim was brutally attacked and she stayed coherent, articulate, and like in any investigation, we got the break and things started to fall in our favor and break wide open. Wow. So that's good. I, that's good. That's good information. I'm happy to hear that. Absolutely. Cheyenne basically saved the day. Like, <laughs> Cheyenne. The day. Was, get you a Cheyenne, okay? Get you a Cheyenne, bitch. Because <laughs> the police would still be running after their tails if it wasn't mm-hmm. for Cheyenne. Mm-hmm. What a bad bitch. I have also a picture of Cheyenne. If you've <laughs> seen it, look in the drive. I'm looking right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Cheyenne. Isn't she fucking cute? She's a big dog, too. It's like, don't play with me. I might be 14 years old, but what you're not going to do don't is play mess with, with my owner. Don't play like, with her. I love Cheyenne to the bottom of my heart. I love Cheyenne. I will be thinking about her for a while. Like, period. If you guys want to see the pictures of Cheyenne, you can visit blacktruecrime.com slash blog. They're already up, actually. And I'll probably post them on Instagram, too. Cheyenne! <laughs> We need a okay. song after Cheyenne. I was about to say, Cheyenne, she ran away with my whole heart. <laughs> and she did it for fun. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to the fucking carnage. <laughs> no, I know. So Sandra was murdered on Monday. The attack of Linda on Jones Street happened on Tuesday. And now here comes Wednesday, August 29th. Police found 41-year-old Karen Delgado Yates gravely injured in a vacant house in the 1100 block of Hickory Street. She was discovered by some investors who were interested in buying the house. She was transported to the nearest hospital, but unfortunately died before she got there. Wow. Karen had a history of sex work as well and had been living in homeless shelters for a while. So rest in peace, Karen. Rest in peace, Karen. Her sister, I don't know if I included the picture, but her sister had like a picture of Karen. And Karen was gorgeous. You know, sometimes drugs get to you in that lifestyle. But I guess it was a picture prior to that. And she was a beautiful woman. Absolutely. Beautiful and your woman. sister's beautiful, too. Yeah, yeah. They're all beautiful. Oh, I put the pictures in there? Perfect. Mm-hmm. So this new task force started investigating. And investigating hard. So hard that they were able to recognize that Ruth, Deborah, Deborah, which Deborah K, mm-hmm. Sandra, and Karen were all killed by the same person. At first, they felt like it had to be drug related. Apparently, Ruth had had issues with some drug dealers in her area over the years. And according to a confidential informant, some of those dealers may have done something to shut her up for good. Mm-hmm. Her husband even her husband even encouraged her to back away from her work, but she refused because Ruth said, you know, you're not going to intimidate me. This is my motherfucking house. Oh, I get it. But at the same time, <laughs> save your life. Mm-hmm. And after being interrogated by police, those dealers were cleared of any involvement in her death. Okay. So you can see that they were following up all their leads. So that's which is good. But also, she's a Caucasian woman. All of these women are Caucasian women. Usually, they work a little harder for those. Let's be honest. And that's not even just trying to ride the wave of what society thinks. This is fucking proven fact. Yeah, but I mean, it is. What can we it say? It is. <laughs> it's proven fact. They also found similarities in the recent murders and several killings dating back to 2003. Wow. Those victims were also middle-aged or older women who lived alone. So in 2004, a 45-year-old woman named Barbara Jean Tuttle was found dead in her home. Kristen, the same home that Deborah K. Cook was murdered in three years later. This is weird. Kristen, it's not just weird. It's uncanny. (laughs) It's like he's like how is this happening like he's going back to the same like he went back to the same house that he murdered previously and murdered again yes and i'm like is he watching these women Kristen? right because how does he just know that they are women that live alone he got lucky with ruth hallman because ruth still i guess she was still living with her husband but was home alone at the time but it's just like how the fuck does he even know 
I'm telling you, I was like, how is he gaining access to these women? It's like, okay, you're approaching them in a way, but how do you know that you can yeah. approach that house? Right, Somebody's right. doing some recon. This is, there's a comfortability here within Matthew that makes me so uneasy. It's just weird. It's weird. Barbara had been sodomized and beaten to death. Just one week after she'd been raped, Kristen. So she was sodomized and killed one week after she'd been raped in an apartment on North Washington in Lansing. So this guy basically, which probably was from the same, let's be real, might have been from the same perpetrator. This guy was like hunting her, like watching her. I'm, oh, just, I'm disgusted. Yeah, this one, this one was really dark. Lansing Community College professor Carolyn Cronenberg was found beaten to death with an electronic device inserted in her. And she was 60 years old at the time of her death. And her and Barbara died around the same time. Barbara's murder remained unsolved while Carolyn's murder was considered solved because a homeless student named Claude McCullum was convicted of her murder and sent to prison for life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll come back to that. What to say? What the heck? Did he right. do it? No. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no. Wow. Using the using the card found in Sandra's spaghetti, police talked to the owner of that store and they said that a black man had come in a week earlier asking for a password to be changed on a laptop that he claimed he got from a friend. But because he was giving like sketchy vibes, the owner asked for his name. After initially saying no, Matthew provided his name, phone number, and an address. And what do you think the name that he pro- that he provided was? His fucking real name, like a dumbass. What an idiot. Matthew Mackin. <laughs> <laughs> and they use the same card and you leave it at the scene. Mm. Cocky. I think he's getting cocky and sloppy. Very, very cocky, very sloppy. They also had info from Linda Jackson. Cheyenne's mom, who said that he gave her the name of Chili Smith when she asked for his name. Mm. So looking up the name, seeing that Matthew also went by Chili, they were confident they had their man. Mm -hmm. So with what they felt was a good amount of probable cause, they got a warrant to arrest Matthew Mackin. His arresting officer said that at the time of his arrest, his eyes, quote, looked like I was looking into nothing. It looked like this guy was just evil. End quote. Another officer said, quote, you don't forget things like this. When they put the handcuffs on him, he looked up. He didn't say much, but he just it was like relief was on his face. End quote. Yeah, fucking right. Like with that piece of shit. I mean, even if there was relief, even if it was like, thank God somebody stopped me because I would have kept going. That just shows how tormented this dude was like and he tormented the tormented torments and it makes sense and it it still gives me no sympathy for him but at the same time it's like it's just a doggone shame it's and i'm just glad they caught him also because i know what he says later that's why you're saying what you're saying yeah he doesn't fucking care he has no empathy no remorse nothing He was told that he'd been arrested on a parole violation and being that they had everybody and their mama present at his arrest, his only response he had was, quote, all this for a warrant? Mm, Question mm, mark. mm. Sir, (laughs) you know why you're here. What you've done. You know why you're here. Somehow his arrest was extremely hard for his family to believe, which is just ignorance, in my opinion. They're just blind. Well, you know, ignorance, because some families you can bitch commit genocide and they'll still be like impossible. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to fucking hear it. <laughs> OK. When the sketch based on details given by the surviving victim was released, Matthew's sister, her name is Melissa, claimed that the sketch proves her brother is innocent. She said, quote, the guy that's a suspect, his nose is very different. The guy oh, doesn't have <laughs> the guy doesn't have facial hair, but my brother's face will never be cleanly shaven because even when he does shave, there are still hairs. Police just want to get somebody. People are thinking they are safe because my brother is locked up now, but they're not safe. End quote. Mm-hmm. Bitch, are you threatening me? I was about to say, <laughs> like, are you threatening me? 
I hear some trauma coming out in that statement because she probably never feels safe. And two, <laughs> you don't even know your brother. Like, don't play these games. You were in foster care while your brother was cutting the freak up. So you really don't know the depths of what he could really do. And no. you should know because of what you experienced and he had to watch. Right. So to even see, like, if they had explained how these people were killed, exactly. even just one. But you the thing is, could have, like, no, yeah, no. Yeah. But the thing is, they kept those details out of the public for a very very long time because they were yeah. so gruesome yeah. and just it would just put more fear into everybody yeah. so a lot of people didn't know how awful these women were killed mm-hmm. even his father jim mackin agreed with his daughter saying quote the sketch doesn't look anything like him so i don't know what to think you're innocent until proven guilty i guess Shut his your ass up i guess Sorry. his freedoms in god's hands don't you dare mention God, you devil. You oh. rapist. Ugh, what a fucking predator. Anyway, predators probably protect predators. That's what's happening here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so an interesting fact, Lansing PD officer Larry Klaus was conducting surveillance on Ruth Hallman's house on August 14th. Fucking follow me, you guys. And turn us up if you need to. This happened around two weeks after Ruth Hallman's death. When he was surveilling, he saw a black man walking by her home. He estimated the man to be like in his 50s. And he wrote in his report, I observed him to be looking north towards Hallman's house. And he began to erupt in laughter. (laughs) That man was later identified as James Mackin, which is Jim Mackin, which is the father's father. Correct. So I'm like, could he be lying? Yes. But this was put in a report a long time ago. He wrote this in his report on August 14th. The murders happened August 29th. They didn't even know who their suspect was. So part of me was like, maybe he just was plotting and just trying to start some shit and say something. But another part of me is like, maybe he really did see James. Maybe James knows more than the fuck he's letting on. I was about to say. Like maybe Matthew and Jim are super close. Because they're both violent and horrible. Yes. And so maybe he told his dad. I was about to say he's literally doing the things his dad, he saw his dad do. Like what if his dad is more a part of this than we realize? Oh my God. And and knowing Matthew, he's not going to snitch on his dad. Hell no. So when police finally got Matthew into an interview room, it would take three separate sessions for him to confess to killing seven women in total dating all the way back to 2004. As he was trying to remember his victim count, he heartlessly started counting out loud. And this is what he said, quote, let's see, one, two, three, four. There's six people, you know, that I have murdered. I murdered them all. Mm -hmm. So like I said, no remorse, no give a fuck. There's nothing there. Just evil and hate. And probably satisfaction with what the fuck he's done. In regards to Sandra Eichhorn's murder, Matthew said that he offered Sandra the card as a way to make her feel more trustworthy of him. And when she reached for the card, he grabbed her and dragged her inside her home. Now, remember the card was found in a spaghetti bowl. Right. And I'm thinking maybe she took the spaghetti to the door when she answered it, because if he just like grabbed her and pulled her back into the house, I'm not really sure how he would have put the card in the spaghetti. So... I don't know how that happened, but well, I really feel like it's like he grabbed her and pushed her in the house because if he's out the house, how can he pull her into the house? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, he probably just like literally like ambushed, bear her, like, grabbed her, yeah, and then just like brought her back into the house. Mm-hmm. He also apparently came home that night with no pants on. I yeah. hate him so fucking much. I hate Ew. him. Ew. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In regards to Deborah Cook's murder, remember, Deborah was only 36, which was out of his typical victim age range. But he explained that. He told investigators that Deborah was a crackhead and that a crackhead had testified against one of his brothers, Melvin Eugene Hobbs, which had landed him in prison. So Melvin is his brother. He's older than him by two years. And in 1998, he was convicted of sexual assault. And is now a registered sex offender, still living in Michigan. So it runs in the family. Uh, it's, it's, they were exposed to some shit and made it a part of who they are. 
And then Matthew's response, he said, I wasn't going to let that happen again, end quote. So he offered her money for sex, but she wanted more than he was willing to pay. So he walked away. He said Deborah then followed him until he agreed to pay her what she wanted. And where I read this, it kind of pissed me off because they included the amount that she wanted, as in they were like trying to try my bitch. You know what I'm saying? Like I just felt like you don't need to say that. I'm going to tell you guys it was $20, but like the way that Kristen stopped, the way that they were like making it seem, don't try to like knock her hustle. They were really throwing shade. I didn't fucking All like she that. wanted was $20. Well, Kristen, yeah. Like sometimes you think people on the street Girl, hold on. are rolling in money. No, I was just about to say like shame on Matthew. First of all, $20 ain't nothing to be. <laughs> oh, I'm not trying to pay you that. Are you serious? Kristen, That's- what did what? Chris, what was Matthew doing? He's a broke motherfucker. Probably not even working. Haven't heard one word about what the fuck he was doing. But you want to be paying for some sex, though. Like, well, at least pretending to. We don't know if that's something he actually was, you know, Mm -hmm. engaging in. Mm -hmm. But because he was raping women. So he probably was like, I don't have to pay for it. I can just take it like the monster I am. And like we said earlier, he also took responsibility for five other murders, including that of Carolyn Cronenberg who was the Lansing professor. So in 2007, after Matthew's confession, Claude McCullum, an innocent man, was released from prison after a year and a half. Thank God. I'm glad he survived. Right? Didn't like just end it all. Because if you see no hope, bitch, it could really go that way. Right. People end their lives before they even get to trial. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, he is not exactly in the clear because he still has another trial that could possibly happen. They could still recharge him, mm. but they're not going to because they know that Matthew fucking did it. That's what so I was going to say. Like, for what? why would you re- re- why would you recharge yeah. him? The worst part is that investigators had video evidence that could have exonerated Claude the whole time. He sued the police department and received two million dollars. Period. Great fantastic i looked that up when i was writing this i was like he better sue their asses so i researched it and he did and he fucking won so good go claude so now it's time for matthew's trial he goes to trial charged with two counts of first degree murder and that's for the murder of sandra icorn and the murder of karen delgado yates assault with intent to commit murder that was linda jackson and cheyenne First degree home invasion and torture. Ironically, one of Matthew's attorney's strategies was to convince the jury that Melvin Hobbs was responsible for one of the murders. I'm assuming they used Melvin's sexual offender, like sex offender status as a reason and possibly the mugshot too, because if you guys look at the mugshot, I'll include Mm. a picture. It looks a little bit like his brother, more so like his brother than it does Matthew. Yeah, I agree. But that didn't work. The defense also brought up testimony from a doctor named Bob Geffner, an apparent expert on sexual assault. How are you an expert on sexual assault? I don't like that verbiage. And he's also the president of the Institute of Violence, Abuse and Trauma at Alien International University in San Diego. In regard to Matthew, he said that since Matthew likely witnessed his older sister being abused, And with his history of inflicting sexual abuse on others, it may mean that Matthew was abused as well as at a young age. The doctor said, quote, if nobody deals with the trauma, anger and hostility, that increases the likelihood it will come out. The anger becomes aggressive and turns outward, end quote. Mm -hmm. Like, no shit. That's everybody. I can get mad in traffic. And if I don't deal with that shit, I could fucking ram somebody in the back. You know, it's not an excuse. It's not, but he's just saying a fact. Like this I mean, is yeah. linked well, to what the fuck he's got going on. Yeah, and it's obvious. I just hate when they state the obvious that happens. It's not just somebody in his situation. It can be generalized to so many different situations and to bring it up as a mitigating factor in a murder case, like it, it it's infuriating. Mhm. Cuz it's not mitigating at all. The defense attorney Michael O'Brien rested his case without calling a single witness to the stand. No character witnesses, no nothing. The jury deliberated for only two hours before returning with a verdict. They found Matthew Mackin guilty on all counts. And in June 2008, he was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Wow. 
I'm shocked it wasn't death. <laughs> I'm shocked too, but maybe what state was this? Michigan? Michigan. Maybe they're not a death penalty state because mm-hmm. the death penalty was never mentioned. Mm-hmm. Matthew appealed his conviction naturally. According to the court records, quote, defendant claims he was deprived of effective assistance of counsel when his trial counsel made declarations during opening argument about what the evidence in the case would show and then failed to call any witnesses or present any evidence and rested immediately after the prosecution's case, end quote. So the declaration they're referring to happened during the defense's opening argument. He told the jury that he would be presenting evidence that showed Melvin Hobbs killed Karen Delgado Yates and that another man assaulted Linda Jackson. And yet he never called a witness to the stand. He called neither of those men either. The court went on to say the following. Quote, we disagree, meaning they disagree with Matthew. Mm -hmm. Effective assistance of counsel is presumed and the defendant bears a heavy burden of proving otherwise. In order to overcome this presumption, defendant must first show that counsel's performance was deficient as measured against an objective standard of reasonableness under the circumstances and according to prevailing professional norms. Second, defendant must show that the deficiency was so prejudicial that he was deprived of a fair trial, such that there is a reasonable probability that but for counsel's unprofessional errors, the trial outcome would have been different. So that was a lot of fucking legal jargon. But basically, yeah, yeah, I'm going to break it down for you guys. So one, they were saying they automatically assumed that the assistance of counsel was legit. You got what you needed. They did what they were supposed to do. They're going to automatically assume that it's Matthew's responsibility to prove that they that that wasn't the case. So he obviously can't because he doesn't have much evidence of that. Okay. And then second, and then second, they said, even if he's able to prove that assistive counsel wasn't basically up to par, he has to prove that it was so botched that it made him incapable of having a fair trial. Okay. And I don't think that was what happened in this case. I think that he did get a fair trial. I feel like the defense wanted to play it safe because the, the case was so basically set in stone. They had a lot of evidence on this, on this man. They didn't really have much to go on. Decisions on whether to call or question witnesses are presumed to be matters of trial strategy that will not be second guessed on appeal. So basically because the council didn't call those two witnesses and the two witnesses would just have been Matthew's brother and then the guy that they were going to frame for attacking Linda, since he didn't call those, the appeals court is saying that's not them failing to do their job that's them changing their trial strategy and they're allowed to do that matthew was also notified before they even made the decision to not put them in on the stand so Mm. being that he was aware that it was going to happen they really was like sir we're throwing this out and then on top of that they had so much dna evidence on their side Kristen, Mm -hmm. that wasn't even mentioned they have dna of Matthew at the scene of the crime. So, so it's like, what are we rap. talking about? Literally he wasted shut money. Up. Wasted mm-hmm. money with this whole trial. So long story short, in 2010, his last appeal was denied. Despite promising to pursue Matthew for the other murders he confessed to, the prosecutor announced that he would not seek further charges on Matthew since he'd be in jail forever at this point. There was no reason to spend the money on the additional trials when all Matthew would do is make a mockery out of the justice system by representing himself and harassing survivors. So that's how the prosecution felt. And they said, it doesn't make a fucking difference. He's just going to end up right back here. Mm-hmm. Prosecutor Dunnings later resigned from his position due to being charged with a number of charges related to paying women for sex. <laughs> so he was probably a customer. <laughs> of some of our good sisters that lost their lives. Oh, no. Just horrible. Apparently, there were a lot of questions and suspicions pointed at the Ingham County Prosecutor's Office. And now we see that they weren't baseless. <laughs> this man had to resign. I hope he went to fucking jail. One positive thing that came out of this horrific situation is that the murders forced Lansing law enforcement to be proactive when it came to confronting crime. Elected officials and neighborhood leaders also stepped up to the plate to help protect the citizens of Lansing, 
which they should have fucking been doing in the first place because that's literally their job. Matthew is serving a life sentence without parole and he is currently being held at the St. Louis Correctional Facility. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. And that's our case. Good. I'm so glad that Matthew is locked up life for life no parole mm-hmm. like you're lucky you didn't get death my friend mm-hmm. my if you probably i was about to say hop over to ohio they'll fucking Shoot. sling your ass they'll <laughs> <laughs> they'll stick something in you real quick they would have they would have put him on a slab and a body bag real, real quick, quick. <laughs> wow that so, was traumatic and that, that was, was horrifying that whole entire story just showed like the things that happened to you in your childhood have a major effect on you. Yeah. Yes, it is your decision and the choices you make are your own. You right. own them, but your childhood has a major impact on who you yeah. will become period yeah. or and what you will have to overcome. Absolutely. And if you choose not to overcome, <laughs> then you will probably become what you were horrified by, you know? Yeah. When you were younger, I feel bad. I feel bad for his sister. I feel bad that she had such a hard time even seeing that, hey, my brother could be this monster. Right. Because our father is. So why the fuck couldn't he be? You know? Right. It's a really sad case. It is. Rest it's in very peace to traumatic. all those women. Rest in peace to all those women. All of them. And for Melissa, I hope you've come to terms with the fact that your brother is a rapist and a murderer. Now talking about the police just want to get somebody like says that's a stretch. You knew it when you said it. And then she said, you everybody thinks they'll be safe when he's off the streets. You'll never be safe. It sounds like you need. Yeah, it sounds like you need some therapy, sis. Like, and you do based off of what you've gone through. If you haven't gotten it yet, you need therapy. We all do. Yeah. So I just pray that she gets it and yeah. yeah she needs to know that oh boy she's never gonna see him again yeah. well, he's it's been where 12, he needs to be it's been 13 years 12 13 years since his sentencing and everything so hopefully she's in a better place mm-hmm. and hopefully his dad is under he needs to be in the jail too Ugh, whatever but yeah thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode and buy your tickets for the live show. You only have four more days left. And do it, do it, do it. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you. So for everybody, you already know, be safe. Protect, protect your, your peace. And protect, protect your, your space. space. Look at Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have to cover your case. Mm-hmm. Period. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> judge me.